Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? So, okay, yeah, today it's Charlie Bluehorn. He hasn't, he hasn't intro the show yet. This is Uncle Francis's wine cellar, you son of a bitches. A podcast where we break down the films of Francis Ford Coppola, cut by cut. And this is a Cage Club Network production, damn it. Charlie, making an appearance. It feels a little inappropriate to go uh, Italian right now instead of German, but Buonasera, have a seat, have a glass, and welcome to Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. I'm Brian Rodriguez, but where's Michael? We're not starting the podcast without Michael. <laughs> I'm right here, Brian. No need to worry. Okay, I thought it was Charlie today. <laughs> no, but Charlie's got some moments in this episode, so I figured we'd, we'd do him some justice at the beginning. But, you know, did I ever tell you the moment uh, this happened at my sister's wedding where everyone was getting ready to take a family portrait, a picture, and my one brother goes, hold on, where's Michael? We're not taking <laughs> this picture without Michael. And sure enough, I was like in the bathroom or something at the nice. time. So they, they waited for me. Uh, a couple of things I want to mention to the listeners out there. Uh, there is, has been a little bit delay in delivery, but that's old news by now. There yeah. was a delay in recording for us because my computer completely crapped out and we had to take a little bit of a break and then mike you were in vegas mike yeah what do you know i was out there visiting mo green making sure he wasn't <laughs> slapping my little brother around or nothing <laughs> I, I tell you what like you talk about uh you know your brother and your brothers on the show a bit and there was a lot of like brother bro time there i was like oh, oh who's the fredo yeah. who's the michael who Who's the uh, that's a that's a very good question. I definitely don't think I'm the Michael, even though that's my name. <laughs> I could tell you who the Sonny probably is, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It never really worked that dynamic out, but I was out there with two with my two brothers. One of them has twins, and they turned 21, so we were out there doing it up for them. Very fun. Happy to have you back. Happy to get into it for episode seven here. Of- Certainly. The Offer, which, you know, everyone's been enjoying it. And we we were talking to the Foodie Films man, actually recording an episode of your show, Mike, your other show, Third Time's a Charm. The Offer, it's kind of what we predicted. It's been a slow burn for people. I'm hearing more people talk about it, like Mm -hmm. uh, at work, at the water cooler, if you will. People are mentioning they saw it. But it's not like you had to watch it the day it comes out, which is totally fine. I actually prefer it like this. I think the show is going to build over time because anything I hear from the people is positive. Yeah, I'm chalking that now up to the culture of how we watch things. You know, people, they're more willing if they hear that there's only a certain number of episodes and so forth in one season, they're going to wait until they're all out and then maybe binge them, you know, or wait until they're all out and hear what the word of mouth is like. And then, okay, I'll give it a try or something like that. I think really only... You have to be like Star Wars for me to watch you day and date, you know, like most of the times, like I wait until there's two or three episodes built up and I kind of like, you know, take an afternoon and watch a bunch of episodes. 
you know, for the offer, because we're doing it, obviously for the show, we've been trying to watch them as they come out and catch up and keep up with it. But now that every episode is out as of this recording, like every episode of the offer is up on Paramount Plus, I'm finally starting to hear, you know, like a uh, friend, friend of the network, Dan Cologne, that I mm-hmm. do a show with now, like he's been watching and started listening to, to us. So it's nice to see people catching on as well you know i don't necessarily feel like we got there first or anything like that because it's not that kind of phenomenon or anything (laughs) but but i am glad that people are finally giving it a shot yeah definitely it's really cool to hear i can't wait to talk the godfather but i am enjoying this deep dive into the making of the godfather made up or not it's been a blast and there's a lot i want to talk about (laughs) this episode but of course of course mike this is uncle francis's wine cellar you know what the best part about uncle francis's wine cellar is talking with you mike you know what the worst part is the hangover the next day oh the, the hangover, hangover. <laughs> <laughs> oh last time i was like why did i do that because we record pretty late too and whatever but i am still working on this francis coppola diamond collection cabernet sauvignon and like i said nice. there's been a, a, a bit of a gap in recording so it's pretty aerated i've already poured okay. myself a glass here uh it's a plastic to go wine glass with my beloved New York Mets on it, first place Mets. Excellent, they're on right now. Yes, they are. And if you can't tell, it is hot in the big city, Mike. Even though it's not hot temperature wise, it's been like so humid. You can tell from my hair. But I- I've decided to relax on my couch today, and not usually in my studio, which is not really a studio. It's just a little bit behind me. But <laughs> apologies, apologies for a little bit of the hamburger meat showing. But I feel very seventies and. <laughs> you're looking very uncle francis right now i was gonna say show. i feel uncle francis a lot of people have said that when i get a little shabby i can look like richard dreyfus from jaws but you're like a thin uncle francis <laughs> i feel like i could be on that set is all is my oh, point you know absolutely most definitely yeah so I, feeling I, that vibe I, today i do not have that vintage look <laughs> going right now I, I always look like i'm 17 or something like I (laughs) I dress like a teenager is what I guess I'm trying to say but I think a teenager not now like you dress like a teenager yeah from the 90s it sounds mean but yeah when I was a kid I stopped 90s look I stopped changing how I dressed when I was 19 basically (laughs) fair enough fair enough but let's get into it Mike what's this episode called episode seven Mr. Producer Oh, and oh my God, this is so much I want to talk about here. We're going to fuck this down in half. <laughs> I'm as giddy as a schoolgirl because this episode is just the pinnacle of so many of the things that we have been enjoying about this show. They're leaning into the caricatures now, and I oh. love it. Brian, I'm going to do a little visual gag in case this ever makes it to YouTube, but uh, all I got to show you is this right here, all right? Just going to do a little... Tap, tap, tap. Oh, my God. (laughs) So we've been alluding to it in earlier episodes, the potential originally, the potential cocaine use by what's his name? Uh, Bob Evans, right? Robert Evans. And then we got a little bit of it in the last episode. And now it's like, oh, he's a coke fueled monster at this point. Yeah. They blow the doors. Like, what do they say? Like, uh. There's nothing left to hide, really. You know what I'm saying? And once you show it once, like you've opened that can of worms, and uh, you might as well just play with it and roll with it and stuff. And uh, yeah, you know, he is in despair this episode, so he is uh, in super party mode. And I don't think he sleeps the entire episode, which is interesting to see him uh, at the beginning and then by the end. 
you know, they're not holding back on that end. That's for sure. You know, I feel like the violence is even pumping up a lot. You know, they got that that one guy, Bobby Cannavale's son, beats the shit out of someone in a in a alley in this episode. And you know, I just I don't know. Yeah, this was a fun episode. You know, I'm looking forward to talking about it. Before we get into some of our favorite scenes, Mike, I did have a note that there's a book I want to recommend to you because I know you and I are both enjoying this inside inside baseball, inside Hollywood thing we're getting here with the offer. I just read a book, and this is just not a paid plug, obviously, I wish. <laughs> it's called Blood, Sweat, and Chrome, The Wild and True Story of Mad Max. Uh, Fury Road, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I've heard of this book, yeah. I'm very aware of the production of this movie, so yeah. Well, awesome. You're about to be more aware. America should be, the world should be, because this is an amazing, amazing book. It's a... Uh, yeah what do they call it, like an oral history of everything that happened right. there. Like every rumor you thought like could be true is true times a million. Yeah. No, I was gonna say, I would love to see a show one day about the making of Mad Max Fury Road, like an, another awesome movie. By the way, the author is Kyle Buchanan. Okay. I mean, it's wild. They, they just started filming another Mad Max movie as we speak. So like that didn't stop anything, you know, from happening. No. <laughs> the book to me shows just like George Miller's process, especially with the film and how it could like really piss off actors um, because he, he had everything storyboarded. It wasn't a script. It was completely from storyboard. One, actors do not like that, obviously. And, and two, if he, in his head, he had a three second clip of the corner of the car with someone's head in it. He only shot for three seconds. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. I've heard that about like Edgar Wright style. If you watch mm. a lot of his early work, especially there's a lot of very sh like quick cuts and short shots. And they literally is just like, we just need a shot of you going like, like this, because we're putting a montage together or something. And like, yeah. Okay. It's very frustrating. I can imagine. And very, very time consuming. Very time-consuming, very frustrating, and the book is great, and I know, you know, you did the Charlize podcast here on the network, so you definitely would be interested in this book, but I also bring it up today because this is the episode where we get a lot of um, technique talk, and we get a oh, little yeah. debate between Francis, who considers himself an actor's director, and Gordon Willis, who I, for my money, is the greatest cinematographer of all, all time, trying to shoehorn his style in and just... Their arguments on set, to me, is the best part of the creative process. Some people yeah, are afraid yeah. of arguing. No, this is how things get done. I love it. This is the episode where we are deep into filming The Godfather. Like, we have started filming. We've done a bunch of scenes. There's dailies flying around. Uh, we're getting to, like, some really good stuff, you know, wedding stuff, the, the stuff at the restaurant. And we're starting to get Francis you know, like kind of throw his weight around a lot, you know, and we, we were wondering if that was going to start happening more now that production has begun and he's sort of getting more power and control. And especially now that they've kind of cut loose a lot of the dead weight by the end of this episode, they fired the editor, they fire like the, the executive producer or whoever was, you know, the bald dude. So like, yeah, it was great to see that argument with him and Gordon Willis. And then at the end of the episode, he says something like, you know, he's a genius. He's a master. Like as soon as they see like what we see, they're going to love these dailies. And so, so like he's come around and apologized and all this stuff. And it's cool. You see a lot of egos getting checked. And I don't know. I just wasn't expecting that. So I wasn't expecting them to portray 
um, I guess, the fight and the squabbling as much. You know, I knew it would be in here, but it's cool to see it actually like played out in sequences and scenes and stuff. Yeah, I, I teased it last time that it was true that there was like a essentially a coup on set and we actually see it here. But I do want to yeah. back up a little to talk about Ruddy before we get into all the glorious stuff about the shooting. Ruddy, this is again from Al Ruddy's point of view. He is the lead producer on The Godfather. That is true. But I'm starting to notice some things that I kind of had feelings about that I'm trying to think of words that aren't as crude as Al Ruddy sort of jerking himself off for this project. Um, But I'll say it. If the shoe fits. I mean, this is the episode where it's literally been seven episodes and this is the episode where he meets a new girlfriend and, he, and she's like, what's a producer do? And he's like, what I'll show this? you what a producer does. And like, that's the episode. It's like, we know what a fucking producer does. Like, what, what is this? Is this? I, I, again, I don't mind it. If, or I wouldn't have minded if this was early on, but you're right. We're seven episodes in and we're getting like that, that traditional, what show me what audience? you do all day. Yeah. Like the audience the, surrogate. The surrogate. Yeah. Yeah. I was blown away. And I'm not anti Al Ruddy. I'm so glad this show is here. I'm so glad that he's put his story. And, you know, it's exciting. And I'm not even against this story. But um, I saw an interview, and I think I sent it to you, with um, a famous uh, film journalist, Peter Bart. Peter Bart was actually a producer on The Godfather as well. Uh, He's actually depicted in the show. He's just like one of the background guys. He doesn't have a major role. But he's a famous uh, film producer. And there's like an interview with him maybe a year ago. The two of them, Ruddy and him. And Ruddy's telling stories, and it's funny because when Ruddy tells stories, it's exactly like this show, for one. Two, they almost seem like tall tales. And Peter Bart later came out after, or around when the show was coming out, and was like, some of this stuff, I don't really remember going on. Like, it was possible, but I was in those rooms, too. And it seems a little odd what's (laughs) the sequencing of the show. But the one thing Peter Bart said that he was, like, most offended by if you will and i'm putting words in his mouth so sorry peter if you're listening i'm just summarizing one thing that he said was like al ruddy was the only person from the movie officially consulted for this show i know in an earlier episode we had assumed that they had like talked to a bunch of people and gotten a lot of interviews and yes some of the stuff as we said comes from the special feature some of the stuff comes from books about the godfather and and just known stuff in the world but there was never a screening among like the producers and francis or that was not even yeah. offered, no pun intended, yeah. you know? <laughs> we have to view this show through the lens of one person specifically, and that's Al Ruddy's vision. And honestly, I'm yeah. fine with it, but we get episodes like this sometimes. Like, oh, I met a hot girl, yeah. and I showed her around the set. <laughs> it, like, it just also gets back to, like, did this need to be 10 episodes? You know, this just feels like there's a lot of filler here. Like, this is mostly half an episode. You know, if you're going to pack it in more show me more robert evans going on uh his bender because he's getting divorced from ally you know show me more of that like i don't know uh like i don't need to see al going over to joe colombo's house for dinner you know meet my wife this is my <laughs> kid. You know? like i don't care about that fucking shit you know like take this lady that she that al meets this new woman you know and like that is a trope and wrote already like i don't need that but if you're gonna do it yeah like don't explain to her what we already as an audience like have learned 
I don't need like a recap of what I already know. Like take her on a date and do something more interesting. Like do a little sidebar from filming The Godfather for a while and actually go out in New York at the which, time. Which and we get. That's like a little. I'm so torn on this because I want more of this. I'm loving the schlockiness of this. I know. It, yeah, right. It's so campy. It's rare you say that about a modern TV show, but it is a schlocky show. And I'm, I'm enjoying that. And I think the performances are amazing. But if we analyze it as like a well-written show again, I don't know. I just, I just don't know. The jury's out on that. What have I been saying this whole time? I don't think it is well-written. And like, that's, that's rarely been an issue for me about the show. Like, that's part of what I kind of enjoy is that I'm able to still like have fun here. And they're, you know, we've said it over and over again that this isn't, they're not prestige television. You know, they're not going for that. Like, this is campy. This is sort of like lampooning almost to a degree you know like that's the sense that i'm starting to get out of it a little more like yes they obviously want to portray it as serious real and like it was hard work but there's also a party going on on this show you know at the same time in a lot of ways like there's just a lot of a lot more levity than they might be wanting to portray because even at the end of this when like colombo gets shot like i'm like good (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, I'm not worried. It, does, it isn't like, ooh, dramatic cliffhanger. or Like, I'm not buying any of that kind of stuff, you know? But I think they, they really think that that's hooking you. But that's not what I'm here for, you know? Like, I'm here for the Godfather stuff, for the Coppola stuff. And, and after episode one, I'm here for the Bob Evans stuff, too. So as long as that's keeping me happy, I'm happy. And it's keeping me very happy. I just it's be so clear. good. I'm all in once again on this show. Always all in here. Like when they're filming Godfather and James Conn turns around and he's got like all the lines taped to him and the uh, stuff yeah, with that. And Duvall. Finding yeah. the, finding the, oh, Duvall, sorry. And uh, finding the cat and all that stuff with the, like all of the lore, which should bug me because it bugs me in like Star Wars a lot of the times where we go back and be like, Here's where C-3PO was built or, you know, (laughs) like that usually bugs me. But here it's just like making me laugh and not like laughing at like I'm laughing with it. Like, I think it's supposed to be kind of kitschy in that sense. Like, oh, here's the, you know, when he when he explains to Pacino where the gun's going to be and then he moves the gun to create like that classic scene of him fishing for the gun. Is it there? Is it not like I don't need to know that's how it went but it's oh, fun for some reason it's, it's so fun. fun just as this is uncle francis's wine cellar in that scene that you're talking about mike where um it's the famous bathroom scene it's the famous uh, shooting scene and uh, we'll, we'll talk about this because i'm just so excited to talk about you know uh what's it called just the whole paramount behind the scenes here but just specifically because this is uncle francis's wine cellar we see the francis directing and especially directing actors in that scene Oh, and I love it. I love it. I love his instructions to Al. I love how you're saying how he tells the uh, set guy to move the gun so that when Pacino goes back there, he's fishing for it a little. He has such, again, this is a show. I don't know, but we saw the final product in The Godfather. He has such command for the way actors can be and like the, the level that they can achieve in a scene. I don't know. This is like this is what makes him <laughs> as great as he is. Yeah, I mean, he does what a director should. He elevates performances, right? Like he first he finds like the perfect match for the role and then he guides them to fit the role perfectly. In that sense that I'm not watching 
Pacino in The Godfather. I'm watching Michael Corleone. Like, I'm not thinking of Brando. I'm thinking of Don Corleone. Like, in that kind of sense, like, truly. That is a lot of the fun of the Francis stuff here that I wasn't expecting because that is very difficult to portray. Like, uh, I give Dan Fogler a lot of credit for acting like a director because directors aren't acting. They're in the moment and they're working. And, and a lot of times it's sort of, they talk about how like they're sort of painting or something. And there's sort of just a lot of like things come to mind in the moment. And yeah. And so it's really interesting to see it play out and feel organic. And those are the parts that I feel are like really well written, you know, then that's what's so up and down about this show a lot is that like you get amazing moments like that, amazing moments like that dinner sequence sort of uh in the previous episodes yeah. where we, you know where everyone meeting and they're improving like we get amazing scenes in, in some of these episodes still and i thought that that stuff was really great this time around yeah all the coppola stuff i really enjoyed in this episode i think 100%. that character has really like stepped up again no puzo this episode though puzo was missing didn't see him and i don't mind that like if they're going to stretch us out to 10 episodes they're putting some characters on ice at certain points, and that's totally okay. Yeah. So let's get into what is really going on here. There's a couple things. As we mentioned, there's a coup. Um, let me get that guy's name. Aram Avarkian? Avarkian? Okay, yeah. He's the one that... Uh, no, I forgot the other dude's name, but the vice president of Paramount wants to put in charge, and they're kind of conspiring against uh, Francis, and specifically Pacino. Like, that's their big... That's their big sticking point, right? Yeah, yeah. Barry and Jack, right? They're the yeah. two sort of corporate heads of production. And they're just, I think, ultimately, they're just trying to find any way to shut this down. And they've targeted Pacino because they know Charlie's not 100% on board with him. And they knew that even Evans needed to be convinced. So I think they see him as sort of like a weak point in the armor. Yeah, like the so weak they, antelope. Like, yeah. They target. Yeah, so they target it. And it's funny when when uh, they're on set and they're like, look at him. Those presents make him look even smaller. Are you intimidated by him? And all I'm thinking is, man, you guys are missing everything. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and maybe, look, hindsight is twenty twenty. We've seen the movie. We knew it worked. And maybe they couldn't figure that out because like, oh, he's a war hero. That's what I keep saying. But the fact that diminutive, loving Michael with this white bread New Englandish, I think she's from New England. Could, couldn't hurt a like fly, children. right? Couldn't like, hurt a yeah, fly. Yeah, yeah. The most removed from the family, Senator Corleone, you know, something like that. Like he's so removed that there's visions of him divorcing himself enough where he could be an elected official. That's like a pipe dream, but still, right? Yeah. He's not Fredo soft. Like Fredo's more weak. Michael's more compassionate and stuff like someone like that could be yeah. a war hero that's like that's a, they don't have to yeah, be just like a yeah. gruff guy right like if you're put in a situation he's got a good heart like at least at the beginning you know <laughs> he seems like a pacifist right like after you come back even you know there are people that go to war and kill people and they're still pacifists after war you know he just seems very passive as a person and just wants to get on with having a normal life and everything like that and so like you need to frame him like yeah, not only is he not a part of that world, but he's also just a very sort of average Joe in a lot of ways. Yeah, remember the scene, the final scene in The Godfather 2 where it's like them at the table and Michael's oh, yeah, talking the, about volunteering. About going to war, yeah. yeah. That's when he says he enlisted, yeah. He's idealistic and, and bright-eyed, right? And Pacino captures that so well. So well. Again, I know hindsight is one way. I'll, I'll say it again. But... 
the fact that these people wanted to change that and make him like a handsome leading man, that would have removed so much of the soul of the movie. So bravo if that's what the show wanted to depict because they did a good job. Yeah, it's just really interesting how like people's minds just work differently too because you even hear the editor say like I'd have shot this in close-ups and this and that and it's like he misses the whole context of the scene that way and like only France, you know, and like you're right, hindsight and all that, but like Francis is on a whole other level than that guy. That's why they don't understand what's going on, you know? And it's like, you can't comprehend what he's thinking until you see it in a lot of ways. And I don't know. I think they portrayed that really well on the show too, you know, especially when they're talking about the dailies and how they're not ready yet and they need to be color timed and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, you know, movies aren't an instant gratification type of thing. Okay. Like at least not until like this digital age, have you, gotten to see what you just shot for like a day or two so like yeah it's fun to see that as well just like all of the sort of roadblocks in the way of the process and it's like can we just make our movie you know and it just sees at the end of this episode it's like yes finally go no more interruptions and make the rest of this movie do whatever you need to do everybody just seems like convinced now yeah because bluthorn he's the one who can pull the plug the stock's back up apparently and to be fair the colin hanks character lapidus He's a bad dude, but he's also not really necessarily in on the coup. It's more uh, the two dudes you mentioned, the the editor. Yeah, the editor. The mostly other, that bald guy. Yeah, yeah. But he, he sanctions it. You know, he's like, yeah, go ahead and, and do this Pacino thing. Like, try and get him off the picture. Yeah, you. it's weird because Lapidus, he's not a, someone we're supposed to like, but you believe his intentions are completely business-minded, that if the movie did well, he would be happy and probably take credit. You know what I mean? Because he's like an asshole. These two guys would almost rather sabotage the movie than it do well because they just do not believe in the stuff that's going on. That's exactly what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing. And they also see themselves as as an extension of Charlie on the set uh, to a degree as well. And Charlie is neurotic, right? Like he is, he is so like scared of losing his power that like, you know, he's super impressionable at this point. So, like, they're watching these unfinished dailies, and they're like, look at this shit. And he's like, I'm bored. I'm bored. What am I watching? What is this? What is this? Right? But then when he sees the real dailies, he's like, I see what you see. This is magic. It's magic. <laughs> you know? So, like, the guy is just, like, unpredictable, you know? And you, we've seen also uh, with Betty, like, you can very easily convince him to do what you want if you sure. say it the right way, you know? And if you just schmooze him and you know how to talk to him. So, like, he's a very much, like, a wild card this episode. I think, though, that comes from the fact that he's, like, a busy man. He has his, and I guess in real life, I should say. Like, he has his hands in a lot of things. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. he doesn't have the time to just watch it. So he sees something and he thinks that's what it's like so you could frame it in any way you want but when he goes to set and he sees the pacino performance i think that's so awesome you know what i mean and i want to hold the um robert evans stuff a little sure, later so. sure 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 yeah no I, I i love that when he meets pacino mm-hmm. and they're like what do you think he's like he's not he's like i don't think he's something like he's like i don't think anybody's great but i like him yeah <laughs> i love that i love that he just what's the actor's name again? I always forget his name. He's he's in so many things. Uh Burn Gorman? Burn Gorman. I think he's doing such a good job here. And we said it in a previous episode that he usually plays henchmen or just like the creepy guy in the corner or the bad guy. I love the power we get from Bluthorn. You know, he walks into a room, 
and he just commands that room. And again, wonderful performance here. I love when he walks up to kind of like congratulate Pacino on his performance and Pacino's still like in his method mode. And Charlie's like, oh, oh my, like I'm actually fucking scared right now. Like, okay. And like me too, I'm like, wow, he looks a lot like Pacino a lot more like Pacino's when he's angry than when he's when yeah. he's worried. And even I was like, holy shit, I did not expect him to, that actor to turn around and give that intensity. Like, I'm not saying this isn't real acting, but I mean, that was like real, like that showed me some real something there. Yeah, because Mike, you mentioned it, that we liked this guy playing Pacino. Sorry, I'm looking up the actor. A lot of actors in this guy's. Uh, we liked no, him yeah. playing Pacino. Young dude. But... We thought it was more caricature is a bad word because that sounds negative, but like it was the Pacino we wanted to see. Like, right. oh, you know, I want the three desserts, you know, like that. I'm not yeah, the I'm, a, I'm early yeah. Pacino, yeah. But you're right, the intensity we see here. Anthony Ippolito, that's his name. I, I want to see more from this young guy because he brought it in this scene. I wasn't watching Anthony Ippolito, I was watching Al Pacino in that scene. So, bravo. I almost feel like I was watching Michael Corleone. You know what I'm saying? Like getting back to the layers, in- though. The layers. Yeah, you- yeah. Like inhabiting the role. Exactly. We're gonna say the same thing. If you're this young man, you're not playing Al Pacino. You're playing Al Pacino, playing Michael Corleone, and struggling with that. The layers there. So again, bravo. And and how easy it is to laugh at that, right? Like how easy it could be to sort of not recognize the difficulty in that and for that performance to sort of demand you to recognize what what he's doing and it's such a it's just like one shot but even still it was like out of this whole series it was the most convincing shot aside from the evan stuff you know that kind of leaving that on a different plate but like it was probably the most convincing shot of the whole series so far second convincing is like a lot of that brando stuff you know Mm -hmm. when when the guy does the transformation like again you're getting a guy playing brando playing don corleone you know so you're sort of doing the same kind of kind of thing there but like yeah just i mean i wasn't expecting to be blown away like that at this point but here we are so not to flash forward to the ending but i kind of want to wrap this part of the story up the coup fails charlie is convinced and he basically says in his kind of way listen francis you're doing a good job i like al pacino everything's going well they they color corrected the dailies so that they look good and he gives them the the blessing to fire those two guys and basically get them off set and that that actually happened for real life francis consolidated power that way ruddy consolidated power that way and they were able to get the rest of the movie done pretty much without those people screwing him over. And I think I mentioned this last time, but Francis has said that the editor guy, he doesn't believe that he was necessarily the one pushing the plot. He believed it was the producer in real life. So he like, he said he had no hard feelings for him, but he understand why he had to get fired because when you consolidate power, the person who they were going to replace you with cannot be there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fun. That's a great scene in the end when, um, when everyone's like firing everybody and stuff and Ruddy tries to fire Jack and he's like, you can't fire me. And then Evan's like, Oh, but I can. And he's like, yeah, he goes to quote something I heard only moments ago, get the 
fuck off my stage. <laughs> it's like, that is so fucking cool to quote something I heard just moments ago. Oh my God. Like that's not how quotes really work. Right. Like they have to be historic maybe. I don't know, but like, such a power move like love yeah it. what he said get the fuck out of here <laughs> <laughs> love it so those guys are gone two other production things i want to bring up um already mentioned gordon willis love how this plays out here uh, where he's talking about his work again how it's really only lit in the parts that are going to be shot it's super dark around it. And that's really, what do they call him? Like the dark maker or something? Something along those lines, Jordan Willis. Yeah. And I love how they have that fucking argument where Francis is like, they need to be able to move around. And he's like, that's what the fucking marks are for. Why can't you understand like what marks mean? This is Francis's project, but film is so collaborative. And as I mentioned, yeah. like these arguments are what makes a film great because they, they sort of meet in the middle. Gordon walks out. And he's basically like, I'm not coming back until Francis apologizes. Francis realizes his value and apologizes. And as my Italian friend has told me, there is no word for I'm sorry in the Italian language. So that must have been hard for Francis. Yeah, yeah. He says something like, I only apologize to my mother or something like uh, something like that, I guess. But <laughs> yeah. I like that line. That's so cool. Again, I love Gordon Willis, so props props to that the other production thing before we get into some of the ruddy saga but more of the the evan saga the other production thing i wanted to mention was how about our guy lou ferrigno we finally get to see how that mafia thug turns into luca brasi yeah so lou ferrigno 70 years old like look looks amazing right and his choices in this performance are so great and subtle. I don't even know if people are going to notice them, but like he's not doing Luca Brazzi yet. Like he's doing this guy trying to learn his lines. So every time he messes up, he says this thing. He goes, okay, okay, okay. And then he messes up again. He's like, all right, okay, okay, okay. And like, he, I think I have to assume that's a Lou Ferrigno choice in order to sort of like, you know, deepen his character a little bit more, make him more of like a person just with the limited time he has and stuff. So like, I really enjoyed that moment there. And Francis watching him going like, essentially saying, we're going to let him practice on set and we're going to film it. And it's going to be him screwing up as part of his character's formality and not getting it straight and all that is so great. The Luca Brasi character in The Godfather is so amazing. Honestly, like talking about all this, it's going to be nervous when we cover The Godfather because like, how are we going to, get all this stuff in it's gonna be like a nine hour episode but it won't be two-parter we'll figure it out but just him going over those lines in the film is so intimidating but it makes that character so real and if this has a grain of truth that that's why they did it that way and and francis like sort of problem solving on set it's like luca brazi is very formal he wants to get his delivery correct he wants to get his lines correct and that so it makes sense here and oh Oh, thank yeah. you, Uncle Francis. It's almost like the same kind of thing with the cat, where it's like, oh, mm. this is unexpected, but it works. Like, uh, here's a new element into the environment, but it fits. Not only does it, like, sort of set itself apart from the novel, it also kind of fills in a lot of blanks and stuff. And I think that's the same thing with, like, Pacino and such. It's like, in the novel, like, I it's been a while since I read it. They probably describe Michael, but, like, the 
bottom line is he's he's an Italian American, you know, so you got to get like I feel like you get an Italian American to play that role and that's just the way he looks, you know, one way or the other. Like that's just it. Like there's a certain style to that look and so you know, I could understand they want Robert Redford, they want, you know, whoever, Steve McQueen to fucking play Michael Corleone, or, you know, even Jimmy Kahn and stuff. But that's how Francis has the vision. You know what I'm saying? It's just he's not thinking like old time Hollywood. Any, you know, it's part of the new guard. You know, he's part of, of the new wave. And so he's thinking differently. And to me, I was never really sure what that meant. I didn't go to film school. I know these guys and I know their style, right? But from this show, it really seems like Francis is an actor's director. He knows what he wants in terms of actors, but he also lets them play internally. It's not like this is a big improv movie externally, but internally, and he kind of rides with it. You're absolutely right. When Brando just finds a cat in an alley, he works it in the scene. And now we can't even imagine that scene without the cat, right? Yeah. So he allows these choices But I think that's also because he knows he casted the right people. So they can experiment with that in his mind because he he trusts them and believes them that that's what the character would do in theory. Yeah. Man, it must have been really frustrating for everybody because like even as on board as Evans is, he's still part of sort of the last of the old guard and a lot of like part of the last of the old studio, you know, like he was even an actor in those old 50s and 60s films and stuff. And so... He, he wants to relate to Francis and be hip and fun and cool and stuff, but mentally he's still making movies like they used to make 20 years ago. The pictures, you know, and, you know the talking. Yeah. And if you think about it, he's still the one who's the most progressive because he's still the youngest out of all those guys. And he's making Rosemary's baby and he's making Chinatown and he's making, you know what I'm saying? Like he started trying to nurture these new kids, but it's still like, you could see like, ah, why do they have to be like that sometimes? Like, why can't they still sort of have respect for the old ways? But it's like that studio system is about to be abolished, at least until the blockbuster comes back. The studio system during the 70s becomes very independent. So for sure. So let's talk about our guy then. Let's talk about Robert Evans in this episode. His first little thing is that he visits Ali McGraw on set uh, for the getaway we don't see McQueen, which disappointed me, but she's essentially cheating on him. Not essentially, she is. She's cheating on him with yeah. Steve McQueen, and he gets pissed off. But I forgot the first thing he says when he sees her. He's like, there's nothing like being on set, you know. But he knows right away it's fucking McQueen, right? And then... It's the blonde. Is the blonde in there? <laughs> he calls oh, I thought he blonde. said the blob. I was like, what? Oh, I thought I called him the blonde. Is it blonde? <laughs> I was going to ask you, Mike, was Steve McQueen in a version of the blob? Yes, he was. He was in the original blob. So he does the have the blob. fucking blob. So <laughs> full disclosure, we watched this uh, like two weeks ago and my computer, like I said, crapped out. I rewatched it. I rewatched night. it too, but I watched yeah. it with the subtitles. Oh, and he does say the blob? And it says the blob. And I was like, I thought he said the blob yeah. as well, but you're right. So, so the line is really like, oh, you're cheating on me with the blob? Which is That's the- fucking hilarious. Wow. Yeah, because there's the whole joke that like he's playing a 15-year-old and he's like 26 or something. In that movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny because I thought he said the blonde. But mm. it's even better that he, he he's like the blob. That's fun. That's and funny. she's basically like, I did this because you're a workaholic. All you care about is your work. Yes, I'm here, but it's all about the movie. And he kind of validates her. He's like, you know what? You're right, essentially. And 
Now he's, yeah. I want to say he's all in on the movie, but he's like superficially all in the movie. But he's also like, I'm single now. I'm going to do a lot yeah. of coke and go out on the town. Oh yeah. my God. This is the, I'm not condoning this behavior, obviously. <laughs> this is what we've wanted this entire time from this character. He's nuts. <laughs> Dude, this is Bob Evans on the prowl. Like, unhooked, unhinged, unconnected, you know, single Bob, like, at, and like in his prime heyday. The whole nine calls himself the king, you know, like tells Reddy we're gonna fuck this town in half, like New York City, baby, you know, <laughs> New York City, the seventies, the party culture. They go to that club; it's insane, A psychedelic club. That's like some Andy Warhol shit going on in that thing. It's that's nuts. he disappears with twins, shows up the next day at set, like in like the next, <laughs> you know, reeking like last night, just like nonstop putting all that trying to just not think about any of that relationship stuff and focus on movies but then like okay well i'm not focusing on the movie i'm just gonna party my fucking ass off <laughs> yeah because he's focused but he's the mo- the show is depicting that he's like half-ass focused um because <laughs> sorry there's a line that i cracked up at when um everyone's on set and i think it's charlie who's seeing pacino yeah and he's like like that's called method acting and he's like i fucking know or something yeah 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 he's like that's method acting charlie and he's like yeah and then and when uh, al's like i got you a special trailer and he's like it's actually my trailer take him to my trailer and like put him away and get him some coffee and all that kind of thing yeah it's just oh man so good at least though he is a hundred percent behind ruddy in the movie now oh yeah yeah he calls him and he's like or they're talking on the phone and he's like you know, we got to back Pacino. And he's like, I thought you didn't like Pacino. He's like, no, fuck it. He's our guy now. We're doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of cool moments towards the end, like powwows in the bathroom, you know, when they're when they're talking about, like, having to seize control and what to do. And we got to go talk to Blue Dorn and we got to make sure he sees the dailies and we got to get everybody who's, like, leaking the dailies out, out of our way. Like, he is in cahoots now with the film. Like, it's his only obligation, I think, at this point. Right now, he, he doesn't have Ali anymore. He's not, he's not producing any other things. Like, he wants to be on board with this hands-on. So, like, he's going to be on set. He might be messed up. You know, he might be on blow. He might be on, you know, no sleep for three nights, but he's going to be, I feeling he's going to be on set for a while. For sure. For sure. Uh, and I love that at the end when he's like, who wants a drink? And he's like, yeah. Francis. And Francis is like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah Francis. All right. <laughs> <laughs> because this is all really he has left, right? Like he's probably fired if this movie doesn't go well. And, Oh. And he's got nobody. He's got, like, you have to drag Al Ruddy to a party. You really <laughs> got nobody. Like, what the fuck? That guy is, like, you know, talking to paint dry sometimes. Like, <laughs> Oh, man. But Matthew Good, once again, is doing just a bang-up job at this character. And I love how he was crazy in episode one, but every episode elevates it a little more and a little more and a little more. And... Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, it's interesting to see, like, he gets, he keeps pumping it up, but it's like, he gets like these anxieties about, you know, the company being sold, but then he gets a high because like love story did good, but then he's got more anxieties because like his wife left him, but then he's on a high because production's going well, you know, it's just like, he's like a roller coaster, you know, his life is just like so wild and exciting and like things are always constantly happening that like, it's always just fun to watch. And man, Matthew good is just perfect. 
fucking give him an Oscar, even though it's television, because like it's amazing. <laughs> I hope he gets nominated. I I don't think this show is like as we said, probably not in that conversation. But I hope he gets nominated. <sighs> There's so many shows, and I'm hearing a lot about like that Adam Scott show by Ben mm-hmm. Stiller. I hear that's a really great show. So like I'm worried that this is just like that it's not prestige television, it's going to get lost in the mix because most of the time, you know, it is all that, you know, and I liked, I love Better Call Saul, you know, like that's done in a very prestige format for the type of show it is. I'm surprised. I figured that would be a little looser, but yeah, I love this stuff. I wish, I wish more shows were sort of this goofy. Uh, There's one thing I missed from the production element, speaking of goofy, uh, has to do with Betty and Betty's arc, but also like the horse head here. The, okay, the, yeah. The episode actually opens up with like a crappy horse head, and like this is never going to work, whatever. Um, but this is a good place to tie it into what's going on with Betty. Uh, Betty and like the one mafia guy, I don't know his name, they seem to be having yeah. like a, a budding romance. Yeah, Bobby Cannavale's kid. Yeah. I think that's him, right? Yeah, like the apple eater. Like he's chewing that <laughs> apple in that one thing. Yeah, I wondered what was going on with that, but at first I think it's just he's escorting her home from set because she's, you know, a single woman in New York city in a very dangerous time. But I think time, there's I think. something there, but then he beats the guy to the pulp. Yeah. He's like, got no. a pulp, and then they go and they get the real horse head, which was fun. When which the guy's cool. like, what do you, the guy's like, what are you doing with this? He's like, you want my fucking social security number two? Get the fuck out of here. And it's like, <laughs> it's just the guy that just got you the horse head. Like you don't be that big of an asshole. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I didn't really suspect that that's going to go anywhere. Romantic. No, I don't think I it just, is at this point. I thought they were teasing it, but just to show that like, no, she's not going to go there. Cause remember yeah. that she also dated the guy who's going to play a, the brother-in-law or whatever. So right, right. she kind of likes these skeevy guys. So it's not that crazy. I guess. I don't, I think the worst parts of this show is when they try and do the relationship stuff. Like the stuff with Evans and Allie is better because they're both movie star world. You know, Allie McGraw being a movie star, it's like a lot, a lot more interesting than like Betty's sex life or something, or even Al's sex life. Like everything with Al and all the women he's been with for me has just felt totally flat. I just don't you know, need it. Like, I don't need it. Like, I don't yeah. need Al's romantic life. I like Al's producing life. The girl, again, that he dates from that club that sh- that goes there, whatever. There's two things I want to bring up with her and Betty. Even though, even though this is, like, something that really didn't need to be said, we all get it. I kind of like that it was said when she asks, like, what do you do? And Betty explains what she does. And it's like, that seems the same as as ruddy and she's like yeah but i get paid a lot less like i'm torn on this because get like on paper that sounds corny but it's also good to point out because we were saying it the entire time yeah that she she should probably have gotten a producer credit on this film and she is essentially another producer here yeah. so yeah that's a note i don't mind that they play really obviously because let's remind people of that like women at this time were doing just as much work if not more and not getting the credit for it see it feels like the whole Al, what do you do bit is just to get there almost, Maybe, you know, yeah. is just to get her to meet Betty and see her on set do just what Al does and stuff. But yeah, I think, I think that was a good use of that, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, a good use of that moment, because there's been a lot of flat schmaltzy 
kind of like sincerity i feel you know like this show's tried to do a lot of that stuff of like pick you up off the ground speeches or brush you off speeches you know what i'm saying or like you got to get back in the fight speeches and all that kind of shit like there's almost one an episode and i'm always groaning during them uh so to keep it sort of short like this and to the point was a lot better i bring up this girl though too because like one part that she says like with the horse head she's like horses in america represent like like glory and something oh. to cut off the head that's poetic. that's america that's yeah, america that's, whatever that's art well, yeah that's like, art. Her, yeah, whole, like okay. her whole her whole diatribe about art and like did you watch the moon landing like, the moon <laughs> landing is art it's like no it's not i mean i guess it is but Capricorn i don't know one. now you got me wondering lady like <laughs> is the moon landing art <laughs> And all the criticisms we say are not the shit on the show. You should watch the show. The show is super fun. If you're listening to episode seven of something here, you're obviously already watching. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you agree with us. But I I don't know. Like, it just feels like Paramount here is reaching in a lot of directions and hoping that some of them stick. And you know what? Some of them are sticking, so you can't blame them. But, But you know what? I would rather have it try and have its hand in everything equally like it's doing. Like, at least it feels that way, you know? At least it feels like it's splitting its time equally. Another show that comes to mind that this could have easily been if it was more serious is something like From the Earth to the Moon. I don't know if you ever watched that miniseries on HBO produced by Tom Hanks. And it's like, you know, all the missions to the moon. And they each get an episode. And it's very like this behind the scenes but at nasa you know you get to know the astronauts there's one episode all about the astronauts wives and things like that and that is more on that prestige level you know and it feels so close to this that like if this this could work that way but i'm glad it's not doing that because not enough shows are doing this taking the chances of covering every base covering every corner and i understand like that's also daunting hard to pull off and this show isn't even necessarily pulling it off but i love the spirit of it and even when it's failing it's fun to me like just because i'm complaining about those stupid inspirational speeches that are coming up doesn't mean i don't like it you know like i'm almost waiting now to see who's (laughs) gonna tell who that it's gonna be okay you just gotta trust yourself and and like find that one moment and and listen to it or whatever you know i'm waiting for that moment now so yeah it's part of what i'm what i love about it well said mike well said i just think that like (laughs) you had a moment like that right now where you're like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, no, exactly. No, I know. It. It's kind of. More than one person has told me that they had never even thought about getting Paramount Plus or never even wanted to watch Paramount Plus until this show came out. So if that's what this, this is achieving, even if it's for a couple people, that's all they want, right? So bravo, make more of these. Bravo. I'll just say this. I'll just say this real quick. If you're on the fence about Paramount Plus, it does have Frasier. So and and it has wings. So you know Frasier verse. But that's not right. cheers. No cheers? Oh. Peacock that's too, that's... has cheers, so you gotta Oh, interesting. <laughs> I believe that's true. The other big thing we want to talk about was the ruddy Columbo thing. And you already mentioned going over the house. We don't have to we don't have to mention that. But uh, <laughs> wanted to mention, though, the fact that, like, the big aha moment in this episode for me, believe it or not, when it comes to the mafia stuff, is the fact that, I'll just say it, they've been depicting Joe Colombo as kind of just like a 
a dummy, right? Like he's a mafia dummy, but he's been making money off the film the entire time. And we learn it here. Yeah. He's yeah. skimming off every union head. He's skimming off everything. And he even says like, Oh, I'm glad we got in on this project early. So it, it takes a little bit of the innocence of the Columbo ruddy friendship. And I thought that was really great. Cause I'm like, Oh, and it kind of validated a lot of dummy Joe Columbo moments before this to me. Like he's not just yeah. like, oh, I want to be your friend. I want to defend you. Like he was in it. The entire maybe there's some of that, but he was in it the entire time to get rich or richer. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all it's all just a scam to skim off the top, right? And like when he finds out that like there's multiple unions and they're all skimming and they're all giving to him, like he's even happier. And then when he finds out that Ruddy's not taking anything off the top, he's even happier. You know, he's like, oh, more for me or whatever. I always felt there was an ulterior motive with him, even if he genuinely was like, you know, I didn't mean to bring you on stage and cause all that trouble bullshit, you know? Yes, you did. Then he invites him over to dinner at his house to meet his wife. And I'm like, so confused. I'm like, does (laughs) he really like him now? Like, is he, is it because he's making all this money off the picture? Like, does he consider, because Al definitely is so, is scared into a friendship at this point. Like he has convinced himself that it's okay to be friends with this guy because he's shits his pants every time he talks to him, you know, like, honestly, that's how it feels to me. So it's still an odd relationship, but I, I was like, I guess the opposite. Like, I just felt like he always had this ulterior motive and now I don't know what he was thinking. Like now it's like, ah, I, I suddenly, I made a friend now, so I'm going to stop ripping off the movie. You know, like, is that going to happen? No, Mike, you're not going to like my explanation for this, but I think this is what it is. I literally think they're trying to depict the line, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Oh, fuck, you're <laughs> right, dude. <laughs> I, knew you, I knew you were going to like that. We shouldn't even be doing episodes about each show because we're analyzing it and thinking about it deeper <laughs> than the writers ever did. Is most what I'm going <laughs> to also in that dinner scene though is another like line depicted like oh I want my son to be a senator you know like I <laughs> I mean more parallels to the Godfather is like that that that's a delight for him we it don't is to be it. a senator or something imagine we don't that need it. but true oh, story what happens at the end of the episode Columbo is shot and in real life he survives I think he survives here but he's basically immobilized the entire his the rest of his life yeah the Mobilari no he's <laughs> he's no longer the Don after this. Okay, okay. That's interesting because like, it does even more parallels to The Godfather when Don Corleone gets shot. And But that's a real life one. He was actually shot at this exact rally that they're pick- depicted. Oh, okay, okay. Did Al Ruddy run up and hold him in his arms and go, why? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I would doubt that part, but I think we're going to get the end of the Columbo subplot. Like, we might get him in a hospital bed or whatever, but this might be the yeah, end of the, the mafia thing. Yeah, yeah. Like the weirdest scene for me was when he goes to give the skim to his boss and leaves, and we find Joe Gallo was listening in and has orders to take him out because I guess Columbo moved against Gallo too soon without orders, and now it's backfiring, and so that's why he ends up getting shot at the end of the episode. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully all that stuff is put to bed soon, and they they go to Sicily and film the rest of the movie away from New York and away from those guys. (laughs) Yeah. Are we going to get Sicily? I I mean, we got to get Sicily. I wasn't even thinking that. 
It's probably like somewhere in California, but we're going to get Sicily. I wasn't even thinking that. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. <laughs> Do you like K or Apollonia? Gun to your head right now. Oh, Apollonia. Sorry, Whoa, K. Oh, sorry. I, I'm a big Diane Keaton fan, so la I mean, I'm a fan of Diane It's It's no, no, I mean, I'm a fan of Diane Keaton. I'm just not a fan of K. Poor <laughs> More K. of an Apollonia. Poor K, though. Poor K? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> a little Spanish into this. <laughs> Anything else in the episode you want to mention, Mike? No, I don't think so. I'm, I'm, I'm just loving it. I'm just having so much fun. I'm glad that we're still going. You know, three more left. Let's see where this this guy. I still think it's going to end with the premiere, and then the last line of the series is going to be, um, "All right, so when do we start the Godfather 2? <laughs> and then it's going to like cut the credits. <laughs> <laughs> oh i cannot wait i uh, cannot wait to do episode eight and release season again guys by the time you're listening the show's done but do us a favor wait wait for each episode or don't whatever just listen to these episodes and remember you could subscribe wherever you get your podcasts google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher also follow us on social media there's not a dedicated uncle francis Twitter, but there is a dedicated Uncle Francis Instagram where I just really just post that the episode is out. But follow me specifically on Twitter. Oh my Rodriguez, Mike, you have shows. Yes, I've got shows. I've got Twitter handles at the underscore Mikester on Twitter. Uh, some of the other shows I do. Third Times a Charm, the third of every month, where I go over the third installment of a franchise. Brian here is my unofficial co-host. Good times, going through a lot of superhero movies right now. The last Friday of every month, I'm on The Monsters That Made Us with my co-host Dan Cologne, where we go through the history of the Universal Monster movies one by one, one a month. The Cage Club itself with Joey Lewandowski. We just reviewed the new Cage movie, Massive Talent. Good fun. We also just reviewed the new Tom Cruise movie, Top Gun Maverick. Lots of fun. So go check those out, cageclub.me, for all of your podcast needs. Yes, and of course, I have High School Slumber Party that Mike's on more than anyone, pretty much. So you can check that out as well. And keep listening here. We're just going to kind of be... We don't have a release date yet until we get into the movies, but we're kind of just going to be releasing as soon as they get edited and put out there. And uh, the support so far has been really nice, so thank you for that. And, uh, yeah. Mike, how are we ending these again? I always forget. (laughs) Leave the gun, take the cannolis. (laughs) This is the end. Beautiful friend. This is the end. My only friend. Of our elaborate plans The end Of everything that stands The end No safety